Welcome to QSMU, where we share inspiring stories and ideas, helping you to find a lifestyle true to yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 13. My name is Freddie Saliva. Today our guest moved to Norway, but now lives in Sweden. We talk about the struggles and excitement on learning another language and living in a different country. Alright guys, you ready? Let's get into the episode. Today I'd like to welcome Danielle, who studied in Norway in 2003 for a year, only to return to the US to realise that it was not where she wanted to be. She eventually moved back to Europe, but this time one country over, to Sweden. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I wanted to start by talking about Norway. So what brought you over there? I was studying modern foreign languages and international studies as an undergrad. And originally, I was not going to study Norwegian. I was going to be studying French. And I think I was thinking Latin and possibly German, I'm not sure. But I managed to meet my first friend that I met at my uh, undergrad school was one of the Norwegian exchange students. And they thought that it would be hilarious if I studied Norwegian because it was offered at the school. (laughs) Actually, very long story short, I ended up studying Norwegian and it ended up going very well. It was the first foreign language that I started studying, actually, because I refused to learn Spanish in high school on the basis that it was the only thing available. And so because there was no other options, I refused to study it. I actually, to this day, have still refused to study (laughs) Spanish. Anyway, so I needed to study abroad for my international studies major. We had been looking into studying in Norway, and the program that we were looking at was going to be having its last year the following year and so we kind of very last minute applied for it me and one of my classmates and so that is the reason that I ended up in Norway actually for a year that's the short version it was quite long but it was still the short version how did you find the Norwegian like speaking I felt like Norwegian was quite easy I don't know if it was the circumstances which I was studying it I was hanging out with the Norwegian students And then I also started studying Norwegian during what they call J-term, the January term. And so it's the only term that is actually similar to the Swedish style of studying where you take one class and you take it more intensively and rather than taking five different classes at once, which we do the rest of the year. And so I only had Norwegian and I had it in the afternoons. So I had it, I think it was like after lunch until like three or four in the afternoon. It was like two or three hours a day. And so I kind of got quite a boost from that. I think that that's part of the reason why it went so well. Another thing is like I tend to have an ear for languages, so it's been quite easy for me. Whereabouts were you based in Oslo? Or yeah, I studied at the university in Oslo, and worked at a daycare that was affiliated with the university. So I was working with children from over the entire country, the different dialects. So then you were obviously speaking Norwegian with them as well. Yes, and they are the most honest critics out there. Yeah, kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a five-year-old that refused to come inside until I had managed to use the correct verb form to ask her to come in. <laughs> I think that the problem was not the form of the verb, but 
that I was mispronouncing it just a little bit. So she was like, oh, we're not going to come in until you say it correctly. And I was like, okay. I went along with it. Like I was, I didn't do the whole American, like you're going to do what I said. I was like, okay, all right. So how does it sound? <laughs> and so the other teachers were laughing at us. We went back and forth and back and forth. And then finally I said it correctly. And this five-year-old is like, see, I told you. I don't know why you say things incorrectly. You listen to us all day long. And I was like, thanks for that. Teaching English to the kids is a different way. Like, at least I'm the one that it knows, not them going, uh-uh. The times I go, oh, how do you say this in Chinese? And they say it, I go, uh, and like, no, no. no. I was like, okay, I'm not going to get this. Yeah, it'll be nice when the tables are turned. So you were there for about a year, and then did you have to go back to finish your studies? Yeah, that was the reason. Yeah, whereabouts in the US are you from? I come from Nebraska. So people here in Sweden, when they ask where I'm from in the States, I've resorted to saying in the middle. And then I say literally in the middle, like this way and that way, because they never know where it is. And if they don't ask me first where I come from, the questions come in this order. It's, oh, are you from Los Angeles? No. Aha, New York? Nope. Chicago? <laughs> no but closer. <laughs> so like people don't know where Nebraska is. And so I usually say first in the middle and then I say in the middle in Nebraska. And they're like, oh, where's that? In the middle. <laughs> I'm terrible. I think from all the TV news, everything, I hear names of all the places. I'm like, oh, I know it. Like I know Nebraska. I know so many names from the US. It's where Penny's from on Big Bang Theory. Oh, there you go. Yep. But there's like so many different things that I would just be like, oh, yeah, I know Nebraska would not be able to point to it on a map, but I know the name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, thank you. And it's a flyover state. So tell me a bit about how you felt when you got back to Nebraska. That was actually, it was horrible because I think that, well, Norway was my first international trip, but it wasn't only that. It was the first place that I traveled to on my own. A lot of firsts happened there. And so I got this sort of connection. And then I think I felt like I fit in there more than I ever did feeling in the States, especially in the Midwest. And so going back home was really hard because I felt like I was going somewhere from somewhere that I finally felt like I had a place that I finally fit in, going back to a place that I had never felt like I fit in. And so a bit of a culture shock, like a reverse culture shock. And my second term in Norway, I was speaking almost only Norwegian because at that point in time, my friend who had gone with me, we studied in Oslo together the first term, but then the second term, she went to Tromsø. For those who don't know, whereabouts is that? <laughs> it's in the very north of Norway. And so you go there if you want to see like the northern lights. It's actually quite beautiful. I think most of, well, most of Norway is quite beautiful, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but so we were very far from each other and they were renovating the place where we lived. So I also had to move before the second term. And the corridor that I moved into, the first one that we lived in, we were very international. There was two Norwegian students and then us two Americans and a German student. And the Norwegians and the German student, they wanted to speak English at home. So at that point in time, I was speaking Norwegian at work and I was speaking Norwegian at school, but then I was speaking English at home. But when I moved, I was speaking Norwegian. My new roommates, it was nine Norwegians and they were not going to speak English. Well, that's good. That was when I experienced my first language headache because the first month of only speaking Norwegian, like I couldn't figure out 
out why my head was always hurting and why I was always tired and so close to tears. <laughs> but anyway, so then the second term, I was speaking only in Norwegian. And so I came home and my friends would be super annoyed with me because I would forget normal words, extremely normal words in daily conversation. You know, like we would go to the cafeteria and I would ask somebody to go save us a table, but I wouldn't be able to remember the English word for table. Well, the English word for table. Yeah. And I would literally stand there like an idiot, like, can you go? And then I would be annoyed and frustrated that I couldn't come up with the word. And people thought that I was like playing it up, that it was like I was showing off that I could speak another language. And it was, that was not the case. Extremely frustrating, actually. I had that when I came back from my French exchange. And I remember those times where I was at school with friends. And then I'd say, oh, do you want some of like these chips or whatever? And I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm cheaper. And like, what was that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. I feel like a complete idiot on my app. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I was studying French and Norwegian. And so my thoughts were so messed up. I could have one sentence thoughts that involved all three languages. And I wouldn't realize it myself how often I was switching languages until I got to a word that I didn't know. And then I would be like, wait, what language am I thinking in? How did you find learning the other two other languages at the same time? French and I have a very stressful relationship. <laughs> in what way? I actually have written a French exam in Norwegian because of panic. Right. So we came, we came back to class and my teacher was like, Danielle, can you please wait outside? And I was like, okay, sure. And he's like, let's just let everybody go in first. And I was like, okay. And so then he did. And then he's like, so you're going to retake the exam. You were like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. And I'm also thinking that it's like really weird that he's asking me to stay in the hallway to tell me this. Like we're not in like junior high. This is university. You know, like he could have just handed it back and been like, F, you fail. <laughs> but <laughs> no. So anyway, he's like, yeah, you're going to take it again. And I was like, okay. And he's like, because it was like essay questions. And, and then he starts saying, yeah, I went to your Norwegian teacher and talked to him. And I was like, that's weird. And he's like, yeah, so the answers are correct. He's like, let me just show you. And I'm like, okay. So he hands me my exam and I start looking at it and every single answer is written in Norwegian. And he's like, according to your Norwegian teacher, you've answered correctly to every question. He's like, because you didn't write it in English, I'm going to let you take it again. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like how... Like, I remember, like, I would, like, black out before tests and exams in French. Like, I get so stressed out. I've set such a high bar there for myself that it's, like, especially in the beginning, I couldn't, there was no chance of me meeting that expectation. And so it makes me freeze up. It's better now, but it's not good yet. <laughs> Why do you think that French has so much more anxiety than Norwegian or Swedish? I think Norwegian, I kind of studied it as a joke. Uh, yeah. And so I think that it didn't matter because I didn't really choose it myself. Like, of course, I, cho I chose it. I signed up for the class. But I think that for me, it was just like, uh, you know, it was my fun J-term class. And so I had literally no expectations. And then the girl that was helping me the most that term, uh, the Norwegian girl, she's very funny. Like she can get away with kind of teasing anyone. And she really gave me a hard time by pronunciations. And when I would use the wrong form of verbs or whatnot. And the thing is that that tactic really worked on me through her teasing me all the time. I got 
better. But I think that with French, I'm such a perfectionist and I want it to be perfect. And French is not the easiest one to get perfect, I don't think, as a, even as a French person. You know, they say that they have difficulties. It's quite crazy. I had met at the International Coffee Hour we had on Fridays uh, for the University of Oslo. I had met two French guys. They weren't even students. They just happened to be there. But I remember saying to them that I was going to meet a friend over Easter in France. And I was so worried about having an American accent on the French. Like, I would rather not be able to ever speak French than to speak it with an American accent. (laughs) And the funny thing is that when I was then in France over that holiday, I got accused of being Norwegian. Well, better then. I was like, I'll take it. At least then I spoke French with a Norwegian accent. Yeah, well, at least when I started... Uh, Spanish as well. People kept going, are you French? I'm like, is it because I've got a French accent or like, (laughs) (laughs) like I speak French, but no. We take a little bit of everything with us, right? Yep. It's a good thing. (laughs) I think so. Becomes a part of us. I think that's also what I love about languages. You learn a bit more about yourself and other people as well when you learn them. Oh, for sure. You get another idea of the culture as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think I I told you about this before, but yeah, one thing since coming here, the reason I came to Chile was because I had so many Chilean friends when I was in Sweden and I really connected with them that you guys are amazing and I don't want to understand you guys more. So that's why I came here. And with the language and the culture, I don't know, it's just so different. And when I met up with a friend who barely spoke any English before, maybe more now, I don't know. But I met up with him and he was speaking Spanish with him and I felt like two minutes into the conversation, I knew him more than I did before, you know, and I worked with him for like nine months, you know. It's like, it's just crazy how languages can... Definitely. And that's like, when I'm learning languages, I'm very picky about the method that I'm learning them. I think that this is probably also part of my problem with French, to be honest. I think that this might actually be one of the biggest problems. I refuse to practice with non-native speakers. There at least needs to be one around because I don't want to learn another non-native speaker's mistakes. Like, I'm going to make my own mistakes and I will make my own mistakes and I will own up to those mistakes, but I don't want to learn them incorrectly. I want it to be just me who uses them incorrectly. Yeah, that's like a big issue for me. I think that's also the other reason why when you're living or like being in a place where their native language is, that language is so much easier to pick up than anywhere else because you're one hearing it all the time and it's also all correct it's you're not in the situation of a class where everyone's getting it wrong i've been to france over the last year i've gone like three or four times and this is partially to force me to have to use the language but it's funny because i need to prepare myself like i need to actually go in mentally prepared and like i actually usually also try to have a few sentences ready because in my mind i can carry the full conversation in french and it's fine but as soon as i have to do it out loud i'm like oh crap and so like this last time that i was there i'm sure there's more but i only know of the one dance shop in uh, stockholm and so i had asked one of our instructors who is French, about dance shops in Paris. And so she had given me a list of like eight different ones that were all in the same district. And so I'm realizing that one, I kind of feel a little bit out of place anyway, because I just started with ballet. (laughs) 
And so when I go into these shops, I really feel like an imposter, <laughs> enough as it is. And then I'm going to go in and I'm going to go into a French ballet shop where I'm going to have to also speak French. So like, I'm like feeling doubly out of place. And so I would go in and as soon as, soon as they would start talking to me, I would be like deer in the headlights. <laughs> and then eventually, like the first couple ones, the people working, they were like, oh, you just want to look around? I'm like, yeah, I just want to look around. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And so then I would just leave. <laughs> I would like literally just do a round around the store and then leave. But then I wanted to go to one of the bigger shops as well. And so I went to the, I don't know if I say it right, Black uh, store, uh, the Australian. Oh, block. I thought that's how it was. So <laughs> I was going to go to this store. And the thing is that when I get to the street that it's on, it's got the big name designer stores. And I was like, okay, this is weird. All right. So I keep walking and I see like a small sign. I'm like, okay, it's not going to be like giant like these other stores. So I get there and up to the sign and it <laughs> the sign is like a door where you're going to go through a corridor to get into the shop it's like further in and when you walk through this corridor it's mirrors on both sides from floor to ceiling and then it feels like there's like spotlights like going in towards the middle you get this really runway feeling like you're <laughs> when you're walking towards the store and to me, that made this corridor probably feel much longer than it actually is. Like, I felt like I walked forever through this corridor because I was, like, just really aware of myself. And then I get in and I'm met by two very, very dressed up men. The one of which says, one second, we'll be right with you. And then the other one calls to somebody who came down to help me. These people, they follow you around the shop. It's different levels. They follow you around the shop, but they don't talk to you unless you talk to them first. That's so creepy. They don't even really look at you unless you talk to them first. So like they keep like a what felt like a very specific distance the entire time, but then they would like stand quite still with their hands folded in front of them down and looking down. And then as soon as you would say something to them, they would like come to life and like, oh, yes, space, blah, blah, blah. And like, I was so uncomfortable <laughs> because the thing is like at this point in time, this is like number eight of the shops. You know, I'm like, I can do this now. I can speak French at the ballet shop. It's going to be fine. And then it's like this whole huge buildup of getting into the store that I got overwhelmed. And so he started talking and I definitely, it was Franklish. Like it was for real Franklish. <laughs> and so then he asks me very politely. He asks me, miss, which language would you like me to speak? And I was like, whichever one's more comfortable for you. And he's like, no, miss, whichever one is more comfortable for you. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, you speak French, I'll speak English. This is going to be fine. <laughs> and he's like, if that's what you wish, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was horrible. Do you think he was following you around like just more to be there when you needed him? Or was it also like a bit to make sure that you weren't taking the high valuable stuff? It could be both. It could definitely be both. I got the impression it was more of a service thing. Okay, yeah. Because I've had it at different places. I think I was in Peru or something, or Bolivia, one of them, and they were like, there was someone just literally in my town. So I'm fine. Can you, like, looks like you're going to check that I'm not going to steal a bag from you, but they're like ginormous bags. I mean, that could be part of there. I felt more, just the way that he was behaving and 
the responses that he gave me. It was very much a that I was to pretend like he wasn't there. I felt like I had a butler. Like, it was just really weird. <laughs> like, I can't live this lifestyle. This is too much. This is too extra. You and I both know I'm not going to buy anything here. But I'm too awkward to leave right now. So we're going to walk around the store. You're going to keep your distance. I'll try one thing on and then I'm going to go. And we both know I'm not coming back, even though I say I'll be back tomorrow. The ballet life. It was surreal. It was very surreal. What ended up getting you back to Europe and Sweden in the end? How did that take place? I was actually going to study my master's, but I wanted to do that in Minneapolis, in uh, Minnesota, in the States, which is near Canada, also in the center of the country. How long would it be by like flight or? From where? From Nebraska. From Nebraska, uh, probably about an hour or two. Okay, not too. It's, it's an eight hour drive. Okay. But, you know, in the States, uh, studying is so expensive. And so I was going to work for a year first, because if I had been living in Minnesota for a year before I studied, then I would get in-state tuition instead of -of out-of-state tuition, which is significantly cheaper. But I never even applied to grad school in Minnesota, because I met my ex during that time, who was Swedish and was in Minneapolis as an au pair. We had kind of a fairy tale meetup, actually. <laughs> what do you mean? The thing is that I had just gotten to Minneapolis the month beforehand, and I had an office job. I was there for a half an hour, and then I was like, nope, not going to do this. It was like a call center thing. I don't know why I thought it was going to work. Anyway, so <laughs> I had sworn off nannying. I had been nannying my entire life in one form or another and I had sworn it off and then I quit this job and then I was living with my friend's mom and her sister while I was waiting for my apartment to be ready and so I go back and her sister's sitting at the kitchen table applying for med schools and she's like what are you doing home and I was like I quit and she's like all right let's find you a job and so she pulled open the newspaper and the first thing she takes up is a nanny agency And so we call and they're like, yeah, come interview right away because of my, I had good uh, references. So she asked me to come right away and I was like, all right, great. So I drive there and to go to this interview. And then from that interview, I'm like leaving her driveway. And she's like, actually, I have this family that is in an emergency need of a nanny right away. Could you go to them and interview with them? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, that's fine. And so I go to this family And then once again, as I'm leaving their drive-through, they call and inform me that they would like to hire me. And I was like, all right. And so I ended up being with them for almost four years before I moved to Sweden. One of uh, nannying for four years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, this kid that I was nannying, she was 14 months and she had a different class every single day. She had music class and gym class and swimming class. And we were at the music class. It was the first one that I was with. And my ex was there with her au pair kid. The thing is that they were not supposed to be in our class. They went to our class because... I don't remember if it was the room that was incorrect or if it was the teacher. I think it was the room. So on their invitation to the class, it 
gave the number of our room that we were in. She realized that it was a different teacher's name, but she was just like, oh, well, maybe it's just like a substitute or something like that. So they went to our class and then they came two or three more times before the teacher realized that they were going to the wrong class. And it was like the same type of class. It was the same age group and everything. So like, it's kind of the same thing. And at that point in time, my kid is like super shy. If you don't know her and you look at her and you actually make eye contact, she will cry. That was how she was. And my ex's little girl was the exact opposite. And seeing them together was like magic. Like this other little girl could like pull my little one out of her shell. She would tolerate people looking at her if this little girl was around because she was so mesmerized by her. And so when they realized that she was going to the wrong class, my ex then was like, actually, I think we should go to this class because... They were good for each other. Mine kind of reeled her in a little bit and she got mine to, uh. and so then we started to meet up for like play dates and whatnot. And then one thing led to another. Yeah, it was through our kids and a incorrect music class. It's funny how they didn't notice for a couple of days, a couple of sessions though. Yeah, right? Well, I think that like she had assumed that maybe that she was a late sign up because she did roll call. Bit of a coincidence being Swedish when you're in Norway or is that kind of helped the fact like it was similar sort of culture or language or? The friendship part of us from the beginning then, it was kind of me instigating this whole Norwegian-Swedish rivalry. Like basically me telling her that Norwegian is superior, which I will still uh, actually defend, despite now being a Swedish citizen. You had to hold that in tight when you signed the paper. And Sorry, Sweden. So that was kind of how we actually started joking around and whatnot, was that I was constantly informing her how superior Norway was to Sweden. When I came to Sweden, I had to, because I was not a Norwegian citizen, I still had to go through SFE, the Swedish for foreigners. But because I spoke fluent Norwegian, they skipped me to the last level of it. Oh, wow. It takes ages to get, but you were, I guess, in Norway for a while. But And so they skipped me to this last level, which I think it was still the right decision because I had to do a writing test to, to do it. But all of my first assignments came back entirely red because it was Norwegian spelling, Norwegian conjugation, whatnot. And the teacher himself said, he's like, if you were a Norwegian citizen, you wouldn't even be allowed to take this class. He's like, so the fact that you're like fluent in Norwegian, of course, it's difficult for you to <laughs> write in Swedish. Like, it doesn't make out. But it went well. But wait, why can't a Norwegian citizen do it, but you can? They don't need to because they... Oh, they don't need to. Okay. I mean, you can understand. So for people listening, I obviously know a little bit about it, but how is the differences between Sweden and Norwegian? Because they're quite similar, but... They're very similar. The thing is that Norway has been owned by both Denmark and Sweden at different times in history, or been a part of them in different part, times of history. And so the Norwegian language especially is influenced by both. My own experience is that Swedish 
and Norwegians sound very alike. Norwegian has a bit more of a sing-songy melody to it. When it comes to words, it's mostly the spelling that's different. Whereas with the Danish, it's the opposite. Like they maybe don't sound as much alike. It's still similar enough that you understand if you speak slowly. Is that to Norwegian or Swedish? Danish and Norwegian. But they look almost identical written. What would you say between Swedish and Danish? I think that Swedish and Danish, they can still understand the other two languages. It's harder for them. It's easier for a Norwegian to understand all three than it is for the other two to understand all three. Because as you said, they were owned or whatever the proper term is by both of them. Yeah, so they picked up different. Yeah, I found it quite interesting because I picked up a little bit of Swedish, not as well as you with your Norwegian or Swedish, I guess, uh, now. But because I was working in a restaurant and would be able to say things in Swedish or understand. And then there'd be times people, I could be like, okay, I'm getting a bit stuck here, but feel free to continue in Swedish. And they'd be like, I'm from Norway. I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Either way, I was understanding you fine. (laughs) They're very similar. They're very similar, actually. And the thing is, people say Portuguese and Spanish are very similar, but not as much as like Swedish and Norwegian. No, 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 no. Like when people ask me what languages I speak and I say Norwegian, Swedish and French, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because (laughs) I feel like Norwegian and Swedish, they're kind of the same thing. But they're also not. Like, there are some differences, but... Yeah, and if you can actually identify the differences. Was there any difficulty after having learnt Norwegian going to Swedish? It was really frustrating learning Swedish. I think that Norwegian was very easy to learn, and then changing the Norwegian to Swedish was difficult. Now, if someone starts speaking to me in Norwegian, I can answer in Norwegian. But if I have already started speaking to that person in Swedish, I can't switch. I probably could if I tried hard enough and if we like talked long enough, but it's hard. Like I need to hear the Norwegian first and then I can go into that mode. But if I'm already in Swedish thinking up here... It's how long have you been in Sweden now? Since 2010, uh, the day before midsummer. Wow. And then you became a citizen, I guess, a couple of years ago? Last year. Yeah. Is the process complicated? I think you have to have been living here for five years. The migration board actually, or migration agency, I guess they call themselves in English, they have a test on their webpage where they ask you a bunch of questions to see if you qualify for citizenship. I waited really a long time. So I was here much longer, seven, eight years when I applied finally. And so I was long over the requirements for that. I think that you can't have a criminal background, whether that only applies to Sweden or not, I'm not sure. Can't be in debt, I think. Like, as in, I mean, you can have, like, loans, but you can't, like, if that means anything. But you don't even need to learn nice Swedish, though, do you, to get it from what I'm aware? No, no. Which is absolutely crazy, but... I handed in my passport. I think I handed in my passport and my five latest tax returns. I think that's what I... It's crazy how simple it is compared to some other countries, like Australia, for example. It's not like five years or states probably. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely crazy. Taking a citizenship test. I could so pass it, though. I'm so Swedish. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> Except I'm not. <laughs> in what ways? What ways are you not? I would actually say that I'm probably more Swedish at this point than American in behavior. So how's it been since you've got to Sweden? Have you enjoyed being there? Obviously, 
enough that you've been there like nine, almost 10 years, no, nine years. Yeah, I do actually. I do really like it. But I think that it's so in the beginning we were here because it was, um, this is where my ex was from. That's why we moved here. We were originally going to apply to live in the States, but uh, we couldn't unless we were wanting to get married and we didn't want to get married. And so Sweden allowed us to apply for a trial visa, like a try to live together visa. And so that's the kind of visa that I came here on. And it was really hard in the beginning. Like, I think it was harder than I thought it was going to be because in my mind, I already knew the culture because I'd lived in Norway for a year. And I was going to be able to communicate just fine because I could speak Norwegian fluently. And so I thought things would go better than they did. And they didn't go poorly, but I'm sure you know how the job market is here in Sweden. Like, it's not easy. And getting a job where I wasn't speaking Swedish everybody wanted me to be able to speak Swedish. It didn't matter that I was fluent in Norwegian. Like I thought that that was not going to be a big deal, that they would see that I was fluent in Norwegian. That would be fine. But apparently that's only not a big deal if you're a Norwegian citizen. Because that makes sense. So I had to learn Swedish to get a job. And that I managed to actually do by January. So six months. During that time, I had managed to get a job as extra in cleaning at a hotel. And then I managed to get a job uh, working as a substitute for daycares. And then I got my first full-time job, which was uh, working on the train. And then from there, I went to fast food and then migration and where I'm at now. I feel like it got progressively better, but it was not easy. I did not feel like it was easy. Not the way I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I feel like this some ways Sweden's very easy in some ways, but then some ways just not. Like the job market and the way, did you also have trouble with the personal number as well at the start or was it? No. Yeah, that was okay. I don't remember, like I actually, it's funny because now I work on the other end of that. Yeah. (laughs) Not issuing them, but I'm like the middle person. I don't remember applying for it. And so I don't know if I applied for that before I came. Yeah, maybe because you're on that sort of visa. Because I had so much trouble. So for you know, people who don't know, the personal number is like a bit like, what do you call it in like a... Social security number. Yeah, social security number, sort of, but so much more. And you apply for it and it pretty much gives you... It's everything. Every, yeah, absolutely everything. If you don't have one, you're, you can't exist in Sweden. And they kind of stuffed me around and they were like, no, you can't apply for it. You can't apply for it. You can't apply for it. And then... By the time I applied for it, they were like, no, it's too late. If you applied at the start, it would have been fine. But you wouldn't take my application when I first started, you know, and understand my working holiday visa properly. That was just so frustrating. So did you have a coordination number? Yeah, coordination number. So it's really just for tax, but it doesn't do anything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I could like wanted to go to the gym. I had to they pay it all up front and pay like triple the amount of any, you know, if I wanted to buy oh, wow. a subscription or anything like that. There's a few things I was able to get around before I, I got a library card, which you couldn't have without a personal number. But I was like, I'm applying. Wow. And they were like, okay, just come back when you get it. And then I didn't get one. So I just, yeah, they never checked up on that. So oh, like, wow. That's crazy. But at least I could borrow out some Swedish books and, you know, things like that but the most of a card I could Swedish card I could get 
was like a not even a debit it's the um elect electro yeah yeah and there's a lot of places that don't accept those yeah i mean well it in sweden like in in places that they're pretty fine but one like if you're on the plane you can't use it you know anywhere without internet crazy amount and even like some of the online companies, you know, when you're buying online, you had to have a Swedish card, but sometimes that card didn't work either. And you're just like, really? Like, it's just so stupid. Oh, so frustrating. Scandinavian bureaucracy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What would you say has been kind of the hardest thing since moving to Sweden for you? I think the hardest was finding a job and like finding a job that I wanted to do because it's so different the swedish system in comparison to the american system and you know in sweden you have to have everything on paper if there's no paper about it then it it doesn't exist you never did it like what for example i have uh, so much experience working with children and in the states i've worked at daycares i've worked as a babysitter i've worked as a nanny i've worked as i've done a lot of work with small children here in sweden a lot of those things you know it's the employment by the parent we had contracts but it was like of course they were legally binding contracts of course but like it's not the same way as here in 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 sweden and so i didn't have the right type of documentation and so like in the beginning i was like well but i can do what i did in norway i can work at one of the daycares but then i needed to have the barn which is like the child care technician (laughs) education I'm going to get a lot of barnkotter against me here if there's any of them that listen to this. But I was overqualified for that, to be honest, like in my own opinion. But I couldn't even get that job because of the fact that I didn't have the education. Like I didn't have the formal education for it. And I couldn't prove that I had the experience for it, which I did. And so I think that that was the hardest part for me, that it was like I didn't want to work in a restaurant here in Sweden. that has never been an ambition for me and I don't think there's anything wrong with it but it wasn't my thing but it was the only thing that was available that's how I was the only thing I worked in I mean I was looking at massage as well but that was also harder because even though I had a qualification the qualification didn't really turn over there the the position isn't really available I mean there in Sweden like we've got myotherapy which is not just massage relaxation it's actually fixing someone you know you've got an injury right you know and all the jobs were just massage and i applied for them and i had one came back and were like well you know really just looking for females because males you know people won't like it as much i was like well clearly then that's not the sort of work that i want to do like i don't want to be a massage therapist who's just wants to rub down like that's i've done that before and you know so boring so it was like that or restaurant but i guess at least you can do restaurant compared to a lot of countries if you don't speak the native language that's true still find it quite impressive considering all swedes speak english it's hard to find a swede that is not fluent in english they exist but it's like they're a minority yeah and usually like the older people they're all pretty willing as well with like the restaurants when they come in like oh english oh okay sure really only had a couple of people who got annoyed it wasn't too bad but yeah it's quite interesting i agree also found it quite hard because then they didn't sometimes weren't willing to give you a try with a Swedish if your Swedish wasn't good enough? Oh, that happened to my friend in Norway. People would just switch, like she would barely get two words out and they would just automatically switch to English. Yeah, and that's why I had it difficult with the Swedish. And it didn't help that, 
you know, I wasn't really working with any Swedish people or wasn't surrounded by them. So it was hard to get into the community. Or what I did, they're like, oh, just go English. And you're like, no, no, I'm trying, you know. I was going to say, I think that that's like, for me, in the job that I'm working at, there's a lot of our customers that come in and have difficulties with uh, the Swedish and English. And I think that for me, like that's seeing how my friend reacted when people would switch to English with her directly. I try to get people to speak Swedish. If I hear that they speak a little bit of it, then I'm actually a little bit, um, not harsh with them, but like I'll, I'm a bit pushy. That's good. Because I'm like, oh, but I can, can speak slowly. And they're like, no, I'm no good. I'm like, no, I'll speak slowly. And if there's something you don't understand, I'll explain it. And if you still don't understand, then we'll switch. But you're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably like, I'm not used to this, though. <laughs> yeah. It's very rare that I've had to give them over to some, it's usually the Arabic speaking. So it's actually very rarely that I have had to send those over to one of my Arabic speaking colleagues. They usually manage to get much further with the Swedish than they think they can. And how has your French been going since? Because this is where we actually met. We met at a French meetup to speak French. Which I never spoke at. You did a little bit. A little bit. Well, it's funny because in the beginning, uh, Regis always asked me, like he would always like try to get me to talk. But I think he realized after a while, or maybe I even said to him, like, the more you try to make me talk, the less I'm going to talk. <laughs> like, that's just how this works. And so like, after a while, he, when somebody else would take on that role, he'd be like, no, 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 she doesn't speak. She speaks when she wants to. He kind of became my defense <laughs> against newcomers. Regis, kind of what organizer. Yeah, he was amazing with that. General can read people so well. Yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the French, it's going well, but I still have an unbelievably high standard on myself. So, you know, I didn't even notice you're not speaking too much. I knew you're like a little bit shy, but I think we must have just picked it off a little bit and talked anyway. Who knows? It worked. We got to this point, so couldn't have been too shy. Something happened there. So, yeah, you mentioned also you started ballet. What brought you to that sort of side of things? Ah, uh, okay, so... <clears throat> so first, I love how you do that ah, uh, the, the Swedish little bits in there you keep doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the meetup that you and I met at, I met a French guy named Alexander, who I hung out with a lot last summer. Well, a lot, actually not really a lot, but I hung out with him last summer. We went to a few of the World Cup games together. And then there was a couple other things, like we were a group of people that hung out, had uh, movie nights, and we managed to convince him to join us now and then. And then I had other contact with him. Anyway, he was dancing he was taking salsa lessons and he wanted to learn lindy hop do you know what lindy hop is no okay it's a swedish folk dance and when he was telling me about this he was telling me that he wanted to learn lindy hop and the reason he wanted to learn lindy hop is that he had never seen anyone dancing lindy hop that didn't look extremely happy and so he was like i have to try this dance because it makes people happy. Like, that was the reason. And he's quiet to a certain extent. I would actually describe him as being a bit shy. And he's math genius. He wouldn't say so himself, but I say he's a math genius. And so he kind of fits the whole, like, computer math uh, nerd uh, <laughs> um, mold. But he's cool. I like him. Uh, anyway, <laughs> 
So he asked me then when I was like teasing him about wanting to learn Lindy Hop, if I could learn any dance form, what would it be? And my response to him was, well, I'm too old. And he's like, no, you're not. What is it? And I was like, ballet. And he's like, you're not too old. And I was like, I'll prove it to you. I am too old. But that backfired because there were several places offering ballet for beginner, like really beginner adults. So the part of me that always, always, always wanted to take ballet signed up and became obsessed. Like, I'm still obsessed. Oh, look. What's, what's that? Oh, the... They match my ballet shoes. We've got, we're on video. She just showed me her nail polish. So it's the yeah, color of the ballet shoes. <laughs> so how often would you go to ballet now? Right now, it's still the summer break, which has been tough for me. But uh, the first term, I had one class, and it was Saturday mornings. And then the second term, I took two. But I felt like that was too little. So this coming term, I'm taking four. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm going to take continuing one and two. And then I'm also going to take a flexibility class and a strength training for ballet. So have you felt that it's helped at all in other parts of your life, ballet? Or? Ballet has helped me to get through my depression of my uh, breakup, actually, last year. Because that was like, uh, it was super traumatizing because I, like the hardest part of the breakup was that I didn't know who I was anymore outside of the relationship was this your swedish partner yeah we were together for 10 years and two months it was like a third of my life which we had grown into one person like we were kind of literally almost one person and so people would be like i know that you're down but just do what you like to do and i was like but what is that like what is it that i like to do i have no idea what i like to do also hard having gone from like because you're in Sweden, not in the US, and moved there because of your partner, or is, were you able? Did you find that you had a lot of your own friends? Kind of everybody was our friends, and a lot of my friends were originally her friends. It really put me in an identity crisis, actually. And I found that I turned to people that I probably would not ever have turned to in any other circumstance and these are people in my life that just really stepped up like I don't know I wouldn't say that I'm like religious in the way most people connect that word but I do tend to feel like people tend to show up in your life at the times that you most need them to. And I think that that definitely proved to be true during the most traumatic parts of my breakup, that like the people that I turned to are people I normally would never have turned to, but they just really stepped up and I couldn't believe it afterwards. It was insane. Yeah, it's amazing how that sort of thing happens. And that, you know what they say, like, like when you're in the worst of the friends that you like find out who they really are as well, friend-wise. If I take a, a specific example, this is when I was working at Migration still. And so I was commuting from Huddinge to Flian, which is another town an hour away with the train, the fast train. And so the thing is that we had bought uh, my ex's mother a trip to Paris because she wanted to go with us. And I had decided not to follow along because I thought it could be a good mother-daughter thing for them to do. And so I remember, like, this is at the beginning of January then in 2018. I remember that my ex was being 
a little bit distant, but we didn't really have any issues that way. And so I think that I was just like mounting it to being stress at work. That was the attitude problem. And so she and her mom went to Paris. Well, actually, when they were going to leave, she was like super annoyed with me for being sad when I said goodbye. And then when they came back, I was the one that managed to get her to say that. I don't know when she would have told me, but she was just being super, super distant. And so at some point in time, I was just like, is there somebody else? And she was like, yes. And so this was on uh, Sunday. And so we cried all of Sunday together. And then on Monday, I went to work anyway. My (laughs) manager was not at work that day, or my supervisor. And so one of our teammates was going to be the responsible. And so I remember writing to her on Messenger saying, call me. And I had stopped at the gas station on the way to the uh, major Uh, highway because I could feel a panic attack coming on and so I was sitting in the parking lot of this uh, gas station and I asked my colleague to call me and she does but I'm crying so hard that she barely knows it's me she's talking to and she's trying to tell me to stay home and I'm like I can't stay home I have to be around people this is going to be fine and she's like all right but I'm canceling all of your interviews today you are not going to have any asylum interviews today and I was like that's fair and so I calmed down and I drive to work and my ex called me three times on the way to work and we were still on good terms like we were still on good terms a good six to eight months afterwards And so she called me three times and like, I got super calm and was fine. And so by the time I got to work, I was like, oh, it's just a normal work day, you know? And then as I'm walking up to the building, I feel this feeling. It's like when you have this like sudden influenza that you're going to throw up, like it just, it comes so suddenly. Um, I kind of got that feeling in my body, but it was like this extreme, like, explosion of all feelings all at once and so I knew I wasn't going to make it to my office without seeing anyone and so I went to one of the they call them the decision makers (laughs) they're the ones that have like the more judicial uh, power in them when they write the decisions and the funny thing is it's kind of a blur but it's also very clear to me so i coming up to the door of the employee entrance and i just feel this wave of emotion that i can't control so i make like a beeline to his office which is close by and i go in and as i'm going in i just like burst into tears and this is like the uncontrollable like shaking I can hardly stand up anymore and I feel him take a hold of my elbows and sit me down and I'm like crying and crying and crying and then all of a sudden like he manages like he's like just listening he has no idea what I'm saying but he's just like listening and then eventually I calmed down enough that we were able to talk and I just start hysterically laughing and he's like what's going on and I was like, it says, do not disturb on your door. And, he, <laughs> and he's like, that's what you're laughing at? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, when it's something like this, you can always disturb. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It said, do not disturb on your door. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> the 
person that I had like worked with, and I mean, we had had fika, but coffee. Got out coffee, right? Focus. But uh, it was a whole new friendship after that. Like it was. <laughs> My anxiety attack chose him. It chooses, it chooses. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it was good. He had been through similar to what I had been through. So he turned out to actually be a really good uh, wealth of information on how to cope. It's interesting how that sort of ha- happens, like not like-minded, but the sort of the people you need or something, you know, something to your, your life at that time is really interesting. The best thing was I was going to not come the next day because I realized that it just didn't work and that I was more upset than I realized. And so I had to speak to his supervisor because mine was gone to get permission to not come. And his office is two rooms away. And so I came up and I was like, hey, can I talk to you? And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. And so I went in and closed the door and I'm like telling him about what has happened and, and whatnot. And he's like, just a second, just a second before I had started. And I was like, okay. He's like, I just want to tell you something. I was like, okay. He's like, you are the one who's told me about this. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean? He's like, no, like this morning I heard you crying. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure everyone on this floor heard me crying this morning. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, well, I went in to Frederick afterward and I was like, Uh, is she okay what happened he's like I thought it was like something with like one of our um, asylum seekers and I was like no and he's like yeah well but I didn't know that and so I was like Frederick like what happened do I need to know and he's like Frederick just said it was personal and it's handled like that was (laughs) that was his response like he didn't tell anything of what I had said to him in the and I was like I think that it was like at that point in time like hearing his supervisor say that he had said it was personal and it's handled that I was like okay this is a person I can trust like this is someone I can turn to on this you said ballet had helped you through all this sort of stuff how did you find it I got this weird sense of like confidence from it but I kind of because I had no idea who I was anymore and ballet was something I had always wanted to do, but it was kind of a bit unavailable for me when I was younger. And so I think that for me, it was like one thing that I knew for certain was something that I had an interest in doing before my ex, because every single thing in my life seemed connected to my ex. So therefore, I was having trouble drawing the line between us and what I wanted and whatnot. And so I think that ballet, I had decided that I had to figure out who I was. So if I was going to sign up for ballet, it was going to be difficult. And I wasn't going to be good at it in the beginning anyway. And that that was going to have to be fine, that the attitude had to be checked at the door and that while I was there, I needed to work. And that obviously, if I knew how to do these things, I wouldn't need to go to the class. So I wanted to do things incorrectly to be able to be corrected. And so I think that going in on it with that attitude allowed me to learn in the same way that I learned Norwegian. And I have a long ways to go. Oh, my God. So long to go. But like... <laughs> I think ballet is one you can never perfect. Oh, exactly. But yeah, I think things moved so quickly. Like, I felt like the improvement 
it was visible. Like it, there was visible improvement and that really helped me to have something to be proud of. I think that like, Oh, I couldn't do this two weeks ago and now I can do this. And it's only two weeks. Like I've been working this hard and this is what I can do now. And so no matter how small of a ballet thing it was, it was still an accomplishment and something that I could be proud of. Probably wrap it up soon, but I've been meaning to ask this since you brought it up. Why do you think Norwegian is better than Sweden? Arguably, it could be because I learned it first, but I actually, Norwegian is, it's prettier. It is prettier. I like the melody of it. And it is the same, but it's different. And mostly I like to just tease the Swedes with it. Yeah, and they're easily teased for that one, aren't they? Oh, yeah, because they claim superiority over Norway all the time. I think that that's also like Sweden likes to claim to be Norway's big brother. And sometimes Norwegians will also call call Sweden that, but not in the essence of when they're teasing each other. It's more like the things that they want to claim. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And also, what have you got planned? Are you thinking of staying in Sweden or? Right now, I'm taking everything as it comes. I'm doing what I want, kind of when I want, with the exception of I have to be at work between eight o'clock and 4.27 p.m. Monday to Friday. Goddamn work. (laughs) Right. But other than that, if it interests me, that's what I'm doing at this point in time. I'm going to start English certification that you had sent me the link for. I've uh, uh, started it. That's on my current list of activities. And I want to get that finished before ballet starts on the 2nd of September. Yeah. So we've got about, what, six weeks or so? So, Three weeks. What am I looking at? September. So it's three weeks. I'm thinking a month and a half. No, no, no. Half a month. (laughs) Three weeks. That was more generous, though. I mean, but once ballet starts, I know at least the first month I'm going to be exhausted, especially since I'm taking four classes this time around. So, (laughs) and working full time. So what's drawn you to the idea of doing teaching English online? That's also something that has always interested me. I've wanted to do it before. And I guess maybe haven't searched hard enough or maybe just didn't meet the right people yet to give me that push that I needed for that. Because it has always been an interest, but also partially to fund the ballet classes. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you for Mm -hmm. for coming on and chatting. It's been really amazing to get to know a bit more were you interested in sharing any social media or anything not at this point we'll see in the future what my adventures uh, bring me to i have ideas well if you do have stuff coming on we'll put it in the description eventually i can re-edit that perfect all right thank you thank you i hope you guys enjoyed that episode If you too are interested in becoming an online English teacher, I have put together a very thorough step-by-step how-to guide. So whether you want to teach from home, on the road, looking for something different, or just want some extra cash on the side, like Danielle. On the blog post, I have also put the coupon discount that Danielle talked about with the course. So pop on to curiousemu.com slash teach English and remember subscribe to this episode Facebook Instagram to get all the latest updates remember guys stay curious